0: Hello, data folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Data Show, where we delve into the most recent trends and technologies in the space of data and analytics, engaging with some of the most brilliant minds in the industry on our podcast. Today, we welcome Don Oriti from Tveglio, who is the head of data platform and engineering and an experienced leader in data engineering and architecture. Having spent multiple years in various senior roles in this field, before joining Twilio, Don served as the Senior Director of Data Engineering and Architecture at Genesis and at GoDaddy for six years, serving as the Director of Data Engineering and Architecture. Welcome to the show, Don. Hey, thank you. Thanks for
1: having me. I'm excited to get started.
0: Absolutely. So, Don, let's start with the very first and very basic question. Tell us a little bit about more about your background and how did you end up in your current role as you know, Head of Data Platform and Engineering at Twilio?
1: Yeah, so... Um, uh... Probably my my journey started back in two thousand four uh when uh, i joined a burgeoning uh uh we we started a uh uh in-store, uh inventory service uh, i used to work for h b grocery company out of texas and we had an automated ordering service where uh we had uh, a system that would Uh, uh, track and maintain uh, inventory within our stores and then place orders uh, uh, to the warehouse to replenish the store uh, stock levels, right? So part of my job was to uh, analyze the data that was coming in from this system and then tweak forecasts and make adjustments as necessary, working with people in the stores to uh, make sure that we had the right in-stock levels to service our customers. And so kind of trajectoring from there, um, I eventually moved into uh the Martech space and doing marketing operations. And then that led me to business intelligence. Uh, where back in, in those days we were using um uh, Teradata uh, appliances and then setting MicroStrategy on top of that with, you know, kind of a data architecture that that lies inside of MicroStrategy. Uh we were you know uh very uh uh strong data practitioners at HEB. Uh, you know, when when you're working with very thin margins, like you have to have very well organized, well curated, uh, well governed data, and so kind of learning those lessons from there. I took that over to GoDaddy, uh, where we worked with a lot more, um, uh, you know, big data technologies, a lot more modern data stacks. Uh, so there, we were using on-prem Hadoop. We had uh, we had uh, Kafka uh, for real-time data use cases. We also leveraged uh, uh, SQL Server CDC to, to scoop data into into the data lake. Um, and then from there, it was kind of my uh, first kind of taste of what what we call today uh, data mesh, right? So so this is kind of this practice of like we're we're providing data capabilities for our producers to push data into the lake. We weren't curating data like mesh would uh, would propose, but we we're, were kind of starting to see that process uh, develop there at GoDaddy. And then in twenty eighteen, we moved to the cloud uh, and and kind of changed our tech stack to to leverage aws use cases there or aws technologies there so kind of moving from kafka to kinesis uh, leveraging emr leveraging serverless glue leveraging lake formation um, and kind of taking uh, you know taking our data mesh architecture to the next level there and then my responsibility there was to kind of expand um, on the data that was being pushed to the lake and kind of do this more centralized uh, data engineering and data curation, so you know one of the things I love about data mesh is that you know we 're really asking our data producers to be part of this larger data community and kind of build data sets that are ready to use um, but like when you 're working in a company that has a lot of products and and businesses, even you know sometimes you know the the things that we want to look at cross product those those product teams aren 't necessarily able to produce on their own, so there 's still probably some level of further curation that needs to happen whether you do that centrally or do that within a uh, distributed analytics engineering uh, environment uh, you know those those uh, um, you know data data models and and data lake curation uh, mechanisms you know are still very important and so we are running that as part of our data and analytics org uh, at GoDaddy uh, from there, I went over to Genesis uh, and uh, built on worked on building out a data platform uh, from scratch there uh in the uh in in the uh, uh CIO organization so uh there we built out uh, an open uh, fundamentally open source data lake where we leveraged a lot of AWS technologies again uh but we also incorporated Databricks uh to kind of help build out the lakehouse model so um, we used a lot of lake formation a lot of a lot of glue but then um you know we kind of had two patterns for users so anything that's kind of critical for data coming into the lake we uh, we used a combination of five tran plus our own internal tooling that we used to publish to the lake and then uh you know kind of a, kind of taking the data mesh principle of kind of being an enablement team and and data platform as infrastructure um, you know, really started to work on data uh, uh, data platform capabilities that that engineering teams around the org could leverage, um, as well as our analytics, data science, and machine learning customers, where you know we provided them more um, easy to use out of the box uh, solutions like Databricks, like Databricks SQL, um, but something that uh, we could leverage on top of our open source data lake. Um, and then kind of continuing on to, to Twilio, then um, you know we have a, a much larger uh, platform team, Uh, it it spans everything from uh, data publishing. We do that through Kafka again uh, in in AWS. Uh, That data is published real time into our data lake. And then we have some other data curation, automated data curation uh, processes that help kind of aggregate data uh, for teams to more easily consume. We also have a centralized data engineering team that does further curation specifically for our, uh, our strategy Operations finance marketing teams, and we're looking to expand to you know cover more areas of the business um you know we uh there we leverage uh open source presto uh for access to our data lake for uh analytics consumers where uh we have glue uh available in lake formation so if teams want to fire up e m r serverless glue ray um you know, they can fire up those resources as well and leverage data in the data lake. And so, um, you know, kind of really expanding on that enablement uh, principle. Um, You know, right now, I mean, we're processing, you know, billions of events a day through our Kafka environment. And so we run, you know, tons and tons of uh, data through our infrastructure. Uh, You know, we're, we're a messaging company. So, you know, companies are sending out messages all the time that generates tons of event data that event data gets uh you know everything that enters our lake is is being uh, pushed into Kafka uh, and then some resources are kind of being copied from Aurora into into our data lake as well um, but we have data sources you know uh, you know from our products from our finance systems from our internal back office systems um, as well as you know what you described with you know working with uh, the other businesses within inside of twilio as well you know I, I think anybody that uh, has been in the, uh, in the space long enough, realizes that, you know, like, uh, M and A activity kind of, you know, brings in new patterns, new technologies, uh, you know, obviously new data. And so, you know, I think one of the challenges that we're looking towards as we start to consolidate all of that is, is how do we start, um, you know, one helping those other businesses, you know, continue to push data to the lake, but also like, you know, they, they work in, you know, they, they have processes and analytics Motions in their own spaces, um you know we have w- one of our orgs uh, leverages snowflake um and so we're working with them on pushing their snowflake data into the lake, but also like how do we um, expose external tables into snowflake for them to consume uh while' wa- working on a long term strategy of like you know how do we start to consolidate all of the technology pieces so it's it's gonna it, it's a fun adventure we have teams that uh support you know technologies like elasticsearch and and real time data access using kudu databases uh we support uh teams to leverage spark infrastructure uh we again we we support presto um you know we we have multiple visualization tools that we support as well um and you know kind of really um you know really trying to provide our users with a catalog of of technologies to help enable their uh use of data and help our producers produce data but also help our consumers more easily leverage data for insights
0: amazing and uh, you know given the you know as as you just mentioned right twilio is a big company right and it's not just a big company with multiple products it's it's literally different businesses all entangled into you know one moving entity right uh Tell us about the structure of your data teams. Like, you know, do you have uh, data teams per different business or on? I, I, I assume you you guys even made a couple of acquisitions, right? And they would have their own data teams. How does all of those data teams cross businesses, across products now work together? You know, would love to hear more thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. So our our data teams are uh, in in our org or tend to be a little bit more centered around kind of you know. Uh, you know, twi- you know the the original Twilio company, and so those other teams, as you mentioned, do have their own data teams. So, um, you know, we work closely with them to partner on on getting data, you know, into you know different systems or helping access data. Like a, you know, eventually, like I think where where we need to be is is in a place where um, data is easily accessible across platforms, and I think technologies like Lake Formation make that make that possible. At, in my prior lives. We use, uh, we had a, a very distributed AWS account architecture that don't want to get too much into the weeds on that, but the idea being for like security purposes, service level, uh, service level um, management, um, every team and every system had their own AWS account. Um, and so as we publish data into each one of those, it's, it's then, then the challenge becomes, well, how do I get like a cohesive view of that data, even if it's living in d- disparate systems, right? So. I think you know lake formation makes that uh, you know super easy to do if you're in um, if you're in the Databricks environment you have Unity Catalog that that helps out quite a bit with that. Um, I think what we're also seeing in the technology space is that you know even vendors like like Snowflake and then Databricks like we just talked about are looking for ways to stitch data together that were that live in disparate systems. You know maybe because of M&A activity, but also because you know these teams may uh, you know may want to uh, you know work with data inside each one of their orgs. So, you know, and if you it, kind of going back to the Data Mesh white paper, if you kind of look at the proposal, like, you know, d- Data Mesh is more about, you know, getting consumable, easy to use data into the hands of your consumers. It's not really a, a, a technology, uh, you know, mandate, so to speak. It's more about like, you know, that the data can live anywhere. It can live in an Aurora database. It can be in Redshift, it can be in Snowflake, it can be in S3 and in, in open source file formats. And so. You know, how how do we get that data, um, you know, to look like it's a, a cohesive data lake and, and, you know, enable our customers to be able to access that data no matter where it lives. And I think that's the big, you know, vendors are trying to uh, take on that challenge. Um, and I think, you know, we're getting much better than where we've been before. But I think that's our big challenge with the multiple business pieces is, you know, how do we meet them where they're at and how do we enable them to work with our data and vice versa? But also, like you know, they already have data practices in place, analytics practices, data science, machine learning in place, and we don't want to disrupt that too much. And so, thinking about how to um, be a better enablement platform, you know, really is kind of my goal, uh, you know, moving forward uh, in uh, in twenty twenty three and into twenty twenty four is like not not be the central gate for everything but how do we support teams uh, to be able to use data wherever they want to use it?
0: Right, and uh, you just briefly mentioned this term or technology called Kudu, right? I'm not, not sure if I've heard of that before. Would you want to explain that further?
1: Sure, it's a it's a high speed uh, database. You can kind of think of it a little bit like Druid. Um, it's it's uh, it makes it a little bit easier to uh, stream data into a database, but it kind of behaves more like a SQL database than you know things like Dynamo DB, for example. So it's kind of a, a you know more RDBMS uh, type of database for real time data use cases.
0: I understand. and uh, you uh, although you have mentioned uh, you know a few of the technologies that you guys are using at Twilio, would you help me mapping out the modern data stack of, or the data stack of Twilio, uh, right from the kind of, you know, ETL layer, data ingestion layer, and till the consumer layer, you know, we'd love to know more about tools that you're using for, you know, ETL, maybe, you know, uh, one of the tools that, uh, you know, Segment recently introduced is reverse ETL, right, which is allow you to, uh, you know, take all of those. Data in the data warehouse and putting it back into the operational systems. You know, I would love to understand tools you're using around data governance, data cataloging, and uh, you know, BI. What kind of BI tools are you using? What kinds of tools are you using for the modeling layer? So let's let's dive deeper into that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, all data uh, starts with data ingestion, and so data producers can publish data uh, through Kafka, but we also support um, uh, CDC ingestion for Aurora databases as well. That data lands uh, in S3, and then there's some Spark processes that uh, run some uh, high-level aggregation data, kind of uh, initial step of data curation that's on top of that. Uh, from there, um, there's kind of, it, it kind of goes in multiple directions at this point. So, so we do further data curation uh, using Spark uh, and, and, uh, and tailor data sets to different areas of the business uh, that we support. Uh, from there, um, we also have data that we push into Redshift for for several reporting use cases, uh, pri- primarily around like SOC type use cases. You know, it's a little easier for us to manage and, and test there. Um, for our consumer layer, we have the we have that Redshift database as as I as I described, but primarily most users access our data through our managed Presto environment. So. You know more sophisticated uh, data science and machine learning users, and even sort um, of some of our product team engineers leverage our data through Spark, um, and then our, our basically our SQL interface for for analysts and and for folks that want to do reporting is, is through Presto. And then for reporting, we we actually provide two options. We have uh, Tableau, uh, and then we also provide Looker, uh, and so kind of the looker model was i think a little bit more of our, our our initial visualization offering and then we brought tableau in later but you know we have a lot of a lot sitting in both um you know and and uh, you know we could potentially go look at quicksight in the future as well you know um you know i think we've been talking with uh, thoughtspot a, a little bit um around you know some of their uh, uh around some of their offerings and and what would be interesting there is some of the chat gpt stuff that like we'll get into in a minute um and and then uh for for all of our orchestration uh we're using airflow um in in almost all of our uh, areas around our tech stack um Data governance is we kind of practice sort of like a a uh, i guess decentralized data governance. We use Acryl data hub as our as, as our uh, data catalog uh, which provides us a ton of great tooling around being able to not just document our data sets. But also, like uh, it it ingests data from airflow so we can see the status of uh, a data set based on on its airflow uh, schedule. so you know one of the challenges about using the Airflow UI is that if you're building several tables out of that airflow UI, like it, it's, it, you know you can tell that the, that the workflow is finished, but but you know it's harder to map those data sets. So Acro gives us an easy way to be able to break down those pipelines and show the status at the table level versus the pipeline level, which is great. And then on top of that, uh, we, can, uh, we then can trace lineage throughout you know, a lot of our data sets, uh, especially our key data sets around financial reporting, uh, and then be able to show like SLA statuses, um, but also be able to show in Looker using their uh, Chrome plugin Uh, You know, warning day. If we have uh, data quality issues, or if we have an SLA um, violation, like we can show that in Looker, so so customers, you know, aren't looking at a dashboard that's uh, old or stale, or maybe has bad data in it. So we're able to warn our customers ahead of time, and then we're uh, leveraging Anomalo to do a lot of our uh, data quality checks. and then uh from a governance perspective the the, the pr- we don't have like a centralized data governance council um i think that's kind of hard to initialize at that level so what we're doing is we're kind of doing more grassroots uh, uh data governance so you know these are things like data naming standards uh setting those SLAs for your data setting the standards for for you know what is what is complete done production data um uh Building out documentation around any uh, business calculations that we use in our data, um, you know, done both in terms of code, but also in plain language so that, you know, that that way we understand what the intent is and then we can go validate that code a little easier and people understand what we're trying to do with, uh, with the code that's building out the data set. Um, setting owners for for data, so uh, you know we want to make sure that we have a technical owner that that is responsible for running the pipeline, but we also have a business owner who's uh, responsible for the requirements of that set as well and then as that process matures and gets a little bit more traction and people see the value in it, we can start to think about then like you know how do we define calculations like across the company right I think you know that it's a it's it's a difficult place for for companies to get like, I think one of the things I took from HEB was that because of our, because our profit margins were so slim that there was no room for, for debate. Like this is the calculation for gross profit. That's it. Um, but when, when you don't have that same like criticality around your financials, so like your gross profit, like every, every company right now in the Macri environment is, is concerned about the financials, but like, you know when you're when your razor your margins aren't as razor thin and you have a little bit of cushion to play with some of those you know some of those governance pieces tend to kind of fall by the wayside and then when you bring them up everybody freaks out a little bit so so we don't want people to freak out we want people to see the value and then you know kind of you know naturally gravitate towards towards governance and then you know we continue to leverage uh Acre data hub um uh to support that motion as well um you know, we're working on um, setting up ETL as a service. Um, I think that's kind of the next phase where we want to go. So we have a distributed analytics uh, environment. So those analysts live within the different teams that they support. Um, and so we want to make sure that they have the ability to be able to schedule and orchestrate jobs uh, as well as make it easy for them to, um, you know, write, write the code to produce those jobs. So that that's kind of uh, on a roadmap, you know, for later this year. Um, and then, um, you know, always tech debt and KTLO reduction. So, you know, working on, you know, kind of deprecating, um, you know, old processes, old infrastructure and, and kind of moving more towards AWS serverless technologies, um, you know, uh, managed AWS technologies, uh, to kind of further reduce the, uh, the ops overhead on that. And then that should give us the ability to scale out more and be able to do even more data curation and also look at other options for data capabilities that we can provide both to our um, analytics and business customers, but as well as our uh, engineering customers.
0: Right. And uh, one another thing that, uh, you know, now that I have heard heard your answer on that, uh, is there any specific area of, you know, of the entire modern data stack or the data stack that you guys have at Twilio, where you are looking to you know procure or build uh technology on your own is is that something that is kind kind of still out in the open yeah, a little bit um so you know it's kind of you know there there's always the build versus buy
1: discussion um I think the easy answer to that um for for not just us but for a lot of companies is, is like, hey, if your cloud provider provides you serverless or or managed services. Um, go there first, probably right. That that they're easy to spin up. Um, you know, you probably even have discount rates. You know, with those cloud providers, depending on your size and scale. Um, I kind of think of uh, um, kind of when I think about build and buy. One of the one of the key um, aspects I look at is like, is this thing that we're looking at going to be part of our critical infrastructure? Like, our product's going to be down. Um, if it breaks, uh or you know, is, is is Quilio as a business not going to be able to function if this piece of uh infrastructure is is unavailable. Right. And 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 at a high level, like if, if AWS loses an A Z or a region goes down, there's not really a whole lot you can do about that. You, you know, the world has bigger problems if that's the case. Um but you know when we think about our critical infrastructure, like for us Kafka is the lifeblood of of Quilio. Um and so um, you know, if 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 um you know, it produces data into the lake, teams subscribe to uh, Kafka topics to be able to pull data into the product. So we need to ensure that Kafka is alive and, and, and operational at all times. Uh, you know, and, and we talk about five nine reliability, like, you know, that it, this is kind of the system that, you know, we really want to have that level of service. So, you know, as we look at how do we make that stronger and better, um, you know, we're we're looking more towards MSK at the moment, uh, but we're also talking to vendors like Confluent um, uh, who run uh, Managed Kafka as well. And we're weighing, like, you know, maybe where do we use uh, Confluent for some use cases? Where do we use MSK for some use cases? Is it a combination of both? Is it either or? And so, um, you know, those decisions really, um, you know, kind of, uh, we weigh those decisions based on, you know, uh, of course, ease of use and, and cost and, and all of those things. But like, what happens if something goes down, right? You know, in our, um, you know, in our messaging product goes down, right? Do we, are we going to, do we feel like we are comfortable working with Confluent to get stood back up if, if they're the vendor? Or is that something that we want to have a tighter uh, uh, piece of control over? Like we can leverage MSK, it's a serverless service, a managed service. Um, but you know, we control like, you know, what uh, the, the inside of what's going on uh, with the outage, how do we bring that back up faster? Like we have a little bit more control over that. And, and so it's that trade-off of like, you know, know, if we're, if we're working with our customers on, on whether Twilio is down, like how comfortable do we feel saying like, Hey, we're working with a vendor that's providing some infrastructure around that. So depending on the piece of infrastructure, that could be totally fine, you know, other, you know, or it could be a combination, like certain services we may want to run ourselves, and certain less critical service we may hand over to events. So that's one of the great things about, like, why I push, like, open source technologies, is that it gives you a lot of that flexibility pretty easily. So um, especially at our scale, where we're, you know, we're, we're processing, you know, trillions of events a day, um, you know, being able to, you know, write that data out to S3 and, you know, either run, you know, EMR on top of that and leverage Spark, leverage Ray, um, or, you know, you can go to a vendor like Databricks and be like, hey, you know, we want something that's a little bit more managed, a little bit more, you know, we have serverless Databricks SQL, but we needed to read off of the data that we're processing into our open source data lake. Um, that flexibility gives us a ton of options for different use cases where it's like, hey, we need to centrally run a set of infrastructure um, but it's you know low tier. Like you know, we 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 want our analytics customers to have data and compute all the time. But you know, if we're down for thirty minutes, there, you know, no big deal. Um, but like if if our if if our Kafka cluster goes down, then you know that is a huge deal. And do we want to be able to? Do we want to own more of that, or figure out a way to distribute that so so that we can you know leverage, you know manage uh, leverage partners like Fluent or you know kind of or, or Embed more into the AWS managed offering,
0: right? And you mentioned, you know, previously before about these macroeconomic tailwinds, right? And uh, uh, leading to a lot of, lot of, you know, almost kind of everyone focusing on, you know, profitability and sustainability over the, you know, mad rush for growth, right? And often it have it, it it's seen in the industry that the data platforms and the data engineering or the data bureau division as a whole is often looked as a a kind of a cost center rather than a you know business center right and as a data leader what is the rationale or what is the kind of what is your pitch to the executives not just at failure like in general what's your pitch for executives for a sustained investment in the data platform and data teams
1: Yeah. So, um, that's a great question. So I think that in times like this, um, you know, this is not the time to cut back on data capabilities. Like, you know, we need to be able to, uh, understand our data as much as possible in order to look for those opportunities where we can help our customers succeed, look for new opportunities to find customers. Um, and then look at ways that we can upsell and cross sale, cross sell to our customers. Right. So if you're just looking at like, how do I generate more revenue? um, you know, data is going to be the answer to that. And, and, you know, now is not the time to cut data. It's time to like put more money into data. Now I'm going to counter that by saying that like, um, you know, one thing that would help maximize the investment in, in data is to think more enablement versus central, centralization. So, um, you know, if, if you think about, um, you know, you you have multiple analytics teams. You have multiple engineering teams that need to leverage data capabilities. If you centralize your infrastructure to that, so such that a central team is either managing all of your ETL or they're managing all of your infrastructure, you're going to hit uh, a scale limit, right? You can you can hire more people. You can put more money into it, but the the reality is is that you're, you're you say if you have ten people supporting. You know all of your data ingestion well you know if they're if they're pulling data from your uh, from your sources then you know at at some point you're going to max out uh max out the ability for those 10 people to manage all that either they're going to run into ktlo issues or they're just not going to be able to manage that many pipelines and so you know really kind of um you know taking data mesh to heart and start thinking about like how do i turn my organization into a data community not just a centralized data platform team i think you know Data is so critical to organizations you can't just throw data over the wall to to a central team to say like, "Okay, well, these guys just manage everything in data and then, but we're going to go off either do the analytics or we're going to do um you know platform engineering or product engineering like everybody plays a role and I think you know when when you start thinking about these horizontal teams like a data platform team or like a cloud services team or a cloud platform team. I think the role needs to switch from you know we run the infrastructure, we manage all of the all of the processes that run through that run through us, to being more of like, hey, we're going to start you know thinking more of platform as infrastructure. Like, how can we give you the infrastructure that you need to, to run on your own things that um, you know things that are data related. So when you think about things like data publishing, how do I build a Terraform module or a CloudFormation template? to, that allows a engineering team to deploy that infrastructure and then, but have it already pre-configured or, or, um, have light configuration. So as soon as they deploy it, it's up and running and they don't have to think about, you know, managing it or trying to get it set up and, and wire it into the product. Right. And so I think our role as like horizontal platform teams kind of shifts a bit from, you know, we used to, we used to manage all the hardware. We used to make sure that it's up and running and um, and, and moving that to a model of like, well, no, like all of these engineering teams also need to handle data. So how do we help them, uh, handle that data and stand up infrastructure on their own and not be the gatekeeper for it, but be the enabler for all these teams to do that. And then that scales a lot better. And and so now we're supportive and saying, like, Hey, if you're having problems running an Elasticsearch cluster, or you're having problems standing up EMR, um, you know, we can jump in and help you and give you that support you need. Um, but we're going to get out of your way so that you know if you want to run EMR, or Serverless Glue, um, or you want to um, you know leverage Athena, or you want to you know run Databricks on your own, like you know you can do that. We're not going to get in your way, but but we're instead of like competing with you, we're going to support you on that uh, on that mission and help make everybody as data savvy and as powerful um, as as we as a centralized organization. I think when you look at it that way you can start to maximize the investment quite a bit in, in your data platform team. And so your data team isn't just, you know, strapped to the gills trying to run a uh, uh, KTLO and not able to give your company and organization more tools, you kind of you kind of move that. Your your platform teams and your product teams are already running a lot of KTLO to keep their lights on anyway. Um and if we're leveraging easy to use infrastructure, then um, you know, that that makes it, you know, less load on those teams but also you know like if if your spark cluster goes down your emr cluster goes down just kill it and restart it right like you don't have to worry like you know i've got to page another team and then they've got to go figure out what's going on just you know like hey we're going to beginning of our airflow job we spin up serverless emr we run our job spin it back down and you don't have to worry about any ktlo and so kind of Taking advantage of managed and serverless offerings when you can, so that further even re- reduces the ops load on on those products. But but you know again, kind of packaging up those pieces so that they work as soon as they're deployed, making it easy for your data producers to to publish data, uh, making sure it's easy for them to publish high quality data. Right. So you know packaging up any kind of you know data quality checks that you might have. Um, you know, it, in in and kind of making it easy for the company to start becoming a data community um, versus trying to centralize everything on a single
0: That's an amazing answer, Don. So as we inch closer to the end of this episode, let me leave you with one last question, Don, is where and how do you see, you know, using leveraging generative AI as a part of your day-to-day work or, you know, in In the broader functioning of the data teams that you force you to come from yeah
1: yeah I think from from my perspective um, you know i uh, like i'm I'm probably going to give a a less than satisfactory answer when it comes to using data although I think there's a lot of value there uh, I think on the engineering side of things I think there's a couple of things like can you know can we speed up development of data pipelines you know like leveraging uh, generative AI to help you know build the code out like do we have like do we do a lot of boilerplate code or very similar code that we can you know leverage generative AI, generative AI to help us build code optimization right and i think you know like it, you know time is money in the cloud and so the faster we can make our pipelines the less money we can spend there and start you know saving more money to build more so uh so that that's one aspect of it you know and just general code optimization just across the board even on the platform side I think one of the more interesting ways that that we can leverage generative AI is really like on the consumer side. Like if you look at SQL, SQL was developed in the 70s, right? Um it's still the best language for for handling relational data. It's it's easy to understand especially for 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 analysts and and you know maybe less less engineering savvy folks. Um, but there's also a whole uh, group of customers that you know aren't analysts that you know maybe are executives or maybe leaders in other areas of the org um, where you know they may not know SQL or they just you know like they really just want to ask a question of data. It's like you know hey, what was my revenue um, year over year for you know from you know, quarter one of last year to quarter two of this year whatever that question is like I think where generative AI can play in there is start to think about you know, it, you know, uh, like being able to, you know, move, start moving away from SQL a little bit and, and allowing those folks to just, just ask questions, right. And then have the AI trained to, to be able to answer those questions, um, without the need of like calling up an analyst and, and, you know, like, Hey, can you run this query for me? Or like, I'm looking at this dashboard, but it doesn't have the time frame that I really want to look at. You know, I think, ThoughtSpot and Ask Data are kind of like are moving in that direction. I think where I see sort of a limitation with both of those solutions is that you're really kind of building a tableau dashboard on the back end. And the questions are really limited to that data set that it has in front of it. Um, and there's like a lot of heavy, like old school like micro strategy, like data architecture mapping in the background to make that work. I think where generative AI can can um you know, move this uh, to a whole nother level is the ability to to make it flexible and and, and to train it on all of the data that's available, or or a, train it on a, a much larger swath of the lake, um, uh, in in order to be able to ask any question. And I think that's going to be super powerful when you know you're you know we are we already have a lot of very savvy you know uh, analysts and and data scientists and machine learning engineers, but you start putting that level of power of data into the hands of people who can operationalize it and 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 you know take business action very very quickly you shorten that that lead time so like as soon as that that executive knows the answer to that question they can take an action on it immediately versus like you know waiting for data to be pulled and you know reports to be built and you know discussions to be had that, you know you can you can shorten that that time frame uh, by a ton and I think that's going to be super powerful for businesses leveraging data moving forward
0: amazing so thank you so much don for such an insightful episode uh, there are a lot of things that i uh, suppose a lot of our listeners and we uh, took out of this episode so thank you again so much for giving your time don oh yeah i really appreciate it thanks for having me on this was fun thank you so much